Hey guys, and welcome back to the Blog Psychology Podcast. My name's Carl, and it is good to be back. It is good to be recording another episode. Just looking here at our episode list, August 30, I think that says, wow, almost a year, yeah, pretty much, 10 months or so, since we've recorded and uploaded an episode. And wow, when you think about that time last year, especially in Melbourne, especially in Victoria, we were deep into our extended lockdown that seemed to get extended every two weeks for about eight months in total, I think. And well, now I say that, we just came out of one or two brief lockdowns, but hopefully that's the end of that. So where have we been? Well, the one day a fortnight I was using to record podcasts, I thought it'd be a great idea to enroll in another master's, which was, yeah, it was great at the time when we had lots of time during lockdown, getting pretty hectic now, but we are back. The other reason we decided to put the podcast on ice was it was so great to see so, so many people using the free time in lockdowns to develop podcasts in particular in the men's health and the men's mental health wellness space so we thought we would take a step back put our time and energy into other areas of the business in the work we're doing but now we're back and we are back with a different focus slightly we won't be putting out episodes anywhere near as frequently but we'll be coming back with slightly more unique guests who you might not hear from on other podcasts in in this category i suppose and i think that guest today definitely meets that category but we'll be also interviewing a lot of our clinicians a lot of our psychologists maybe not interviewing more just discussing different psychological concepts different theories different therapies different issues clients presenting with uh, therapy in general And I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to get deep and talking psychology with a lot of my colleagues and a lot of our team because they're a wealth of knowledge and expertise in the men's mental health space. But enough about that because today's guest is Miss Tara Mitchell. Tara is also known as the Gentle Sleep Specialist. She's a pediatric nurse from Perth in Western Australia, but for the past six years has been working as a sleep specialist, a sleep consultant. She works with families all over Australia and the world, assisting them to develop healthier habits and sleep routines for their young ones, their babies, their toddlers, to enable families to live a happier, more balanced and overall less sleep deprived life so if you're a parent if you know a parent if you think you might be a parent sometime in the future check this episode out it is fascinating enjoy Alrighty, tara mitchell the gentle sleep specialist welcome to the bloke psychology podcast thanks for having me i'm thrilled to be here so Tara, thank you so much for your time. I think it's been two or three times we've tried to tee this up. I really appreciate your time. Uh, you're tuning in or recording from sunny Perth. Let's get into it. Tell us what 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 it is it that a sleep specialist does. Yeah, sure. So I um, began nannying many years ago um, and then went into pediatric nursing. So while I was at nanny, I, while I was at university, I nannied for a number of families and then went from there, had my two little ones. I had Scarlett and she was a shocking sleeper. 
So at the time, I remember thinking like, why is this happening to me, you know, but everything happens for a reason, hey. So then um, I used a sleep consultant and thought I wanted to do this, you know, and so I studied and gave up my um, nursing and now I work full time have for the last six and a half years working with families around the world, getting their little ones sleeping well. And we basically work within families to look at like the structuring that's happening, um, what habits are playing out consistently around their little ones sleep. So for example, um, you know, a lot of little ones, if they're used to the dummy falling out or they, you know, they rock to sleep and then they continue to wake time and time again, um, they get into these cycles of needing that um, again and again. And so we obviously look at, um, you know, putting in healthier, more sustainable sleep habits for their families and you're clearly very passionate about the work you do i've seen i think i came across your instagram which is how we got in contact yeah is is the sleep challenges or difficulties with your first daughter i think you mentioned is that what evoked this passion and interest for you yeah, for sure. I am so family led. So for me, like whether or not we're talking about behavior, we're talking about improving ourselves so we can be better parents, like anything that is around resources to improve families, I'm really passionate about. Be that less screen time, you know, parents being more present, like all the different areas around families, um, I'm really passionate about. Sleep was the one that I felt like, you know, came into obviously with my daughter's own struggles, but I realized truly how much it changed our lives. But not just that, I realized how much me leading um, that change and guiding her to, you know, healthier sleep habits um, then carries on throughout, obviously, like when I've got a toddler being able to hold boundaries and hold space and, you know, things like that there. So it just sort of then stemmed into, this practice of, you know, know better, do better, or, you know, reaching out for resources that is so important to utilize as parents throughout. So I'm very passionate about sleep because it changes, you know, our mental health, um, our relationships with our families, um, their physical, developmental and emotional well-being. So obviously there's just so many driving factors behind good sleep, um, but it has stemmed into a passion for, you know, bringing joy back to families really. And you raise a good point. I think that's one of the main reasons I was really interested to to get you on the podcast is that we see in the clinic so many guys, obviously, given what we do, who are new fathers, or maybe they've had that second child and the sleep deprivation can be such a killer and has a flow on effect to, as you put it really nicely, all the different elements and layers of family life, well-being, mental health. How bad can it get? I'm not a parent yet. Yeah. How bad can that get? You know, what have you seen either personally yeah. or with your clients? Yeah, it's pretty devastating, to be honest, Carl. And obviously, this isn't to scare or fear monger, um, you know, people to being like, you know, sleep has to, you know, I think what I'd always say is whatever I talk about how bad it can get, just know that it doesn't have to be that way. And there is so much like there are things that you can do to literally transform it um but relationship breakdowns so divorce is and and literally based on sleep deprivation is not uncommon for me to see um and it's pretty devastating when they do get sleep sorted to realize that you know the the wheels really fell off too like you know too earlier and it was almost too late to get that relationship back things like divorce things like child abuse unfortunately so um parents throwing their children down too hard in the cot shaking babies things like that um, can come into play and then obviously the mental health side of things so postnatal depression psychosis anxiety things like that can obviously come into play as well and then obviously things like driving a motor vehicle you know it sounds so um like 
how is that linked? But it is so greatly linked to being distracted, to not focusing and the um, response time. Um, and it's it's actually, you know, even um, throughout the United States, it's, it's essentially what they'd call like an epidemic of sleep deprivation and it's causing so many, you know, fatalities on the road and things like that because we've become a culture and a society where, you know, sleep when you're dead and hustle, hustle, hustle and, <laughs> you know, all of this sort of stuff. Um but uh, and and so it's just a it's just a luxury if you get a good night's sleep, you know. But really, equally, if we were to say the same about what you eat, how you take care of yourself, it's a pillar. It's a foundation of good good health. Like no matter what you're looking at, be that physical health, mental, you know, any sort of thing. Like it, this sleep is there. It's in all of the checklists, you know. So yeah, it's it gets pretty dire. It gets pretty sad. We've had you know cases where um, unfortunately. Um, child services have had to come, become involved um, just so that we know the baby's safe in the meantime. Um, parents, have to, women having to leave their baby and check into places um, and sleep deprivation, you know, has been, you know, at the foundation. And obviously, you know, that's not to say it's just that it's not to say that, you know, people have to do it or, you know, that that's going to happen to everyone who has a poor sleeping baby. You know, many people just simply survive it. But I think even if we weren't to look at the worst case, which is obviously what we've just mentioned, there's many who don't hit that point. But we then need to come back to, are we actually living and like thriving or are we just surviving that period of time, right? So even if we're not at the dire end and we think like we're just getting through it, like do you really want to just survive these most precious years? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like I don't. I personally don't. And I think I would do just about as in like put in the effort and put in the resources and, and really sort of find like, surely it's not meant to be like this, you know, and, and sort of make those changes. And obviously we get to see the transformations in families and it's, and because it, it's, and I'm sort of stemming here, sorry, but it's not just about like um, how many times you're up at night when only a mum, for example, can settle a baby, we've then got other things that come into play there. The husband feels or partner feels more useless. You know, they can't help. They step out. You know, the woman or the, the mother role who has to feed to sleep constantly might become more resentful of the fact that they get to go to work. You know, there's lots of different elements that come into play there. No, definitely. And that, and that last point you, you touched on, we hear so much of in that first year in particular, especially new fathers, they, they feel useless, don't they? They feel redundant. And if mum's the only one who can settle or knows how to manage the baby, then that just reinforces that and has a flow-on effect, doesn't it? The, the, the other thing you mentioned, that um, the survival, right? And that's one thing I've noticed because I'm, I'm going to become a parent for the first time in the next 10 weeks or whatever. Oh, and I'm excited wow. yes. and terrified. Thank you. But no. I've been reading lots of literature, lots of books, and a lot of them touch on this old school mentality about, well, that's just what you do when you have a newborn. You just grit your teeth and get on with it and survive. And I love that you highlighted that because it seems like even speaking to my mom and older generations, there has been a big shift in the last few decades. Can you talk a bit more about that? You know, what, what are reasonable expectations? Well, you know, I think also, Carl, like we can relate this back to mental health. Like 
for me, like anytime that I, I remember when I was younger and I used to, and I'm just going to relate it back, but if I ever used to have anxiety when I was younger or anxious thoughts or worries or that sort of thing, you almost feel like it just has to happen to you. And that's just your lot. Whereas actually like taking back that like control, that power, I should say, and just being like, no, no, like it's, you know, I can choose to do this to help and I can choose to do that. And there's different things that we can do, you know, to help. I think that that just knowing that is so important. So knowing that it isn't just a lot, um, your lot lot so to speak perhaps before we knew better you know who's like and there was no resources and there was you know perhaps there is that element but there was also you know back then much less pressure women weren't returning to work as quickly there was a lot more um of a of a village around you know women in in many sort of you know cultures and and places and things like that so i think in general our our rush of life our you know the intensity of life and that sort of thing has increased so much so sleep deprivation is just essentially a really big um what do you call it like the the last straw you know essentially for many to add on top of all of that that they have to consider and do and things like that so um i would definitely say in terms of like how that has changed i I absolutely believe that just because it was one way, it doesn't mean we continue that way. And you would know this in terms of like the work that you guys do within mental health and the understanding that we're gaining around all different things. It's like saying, you know, well, people used to die of heart failure and now we know we can do things about it. We shouldn't because that's just your lot's. You know, it just doesn't make sense to stay in what we used to do when we know we know that we've now got resources, we've not now got things that can help that scenario. Because I have no doubt there was people who suffered greatly, um, you know, back then. It's you know, it's it's just highlighting it, isn't it? It's shining a light on the things that you know have always happened you don't get a badge at the end of it and in fact many of my clients who wait a long time have nothing but regret for waiting mm. you know and surviving that period so yeah because i'm i'm guessing here i mean this is not a field i know much about tara so you're oh, the sure. expert here but i'm guessing similar to men's mental health a lot of parents would only be reaching out to you when shit hits the fan aren't they <laughs> yeah totally it's literally like most of my calls are women particularly men too but women crying and just you know they're just you know you can hear it and I just answer the phone and I hear that coming and I just say get it out let it out cry just cry just cry like literally just I want it out I want it all out of them to have a big cry so yeah most people are um you know they are at the end of their tether some aren't you know some are just like and it's really funny Carlson, because the ones most of the ones who aren't had like a sister-in-law that left it too late or somebody else and they're like I never <laughs> wanted to end up like that you know <laughs> they learned vicariously it's funny we either moving away from something or we're running towards it and yeah so for most people they're running away from that fear of like I don't want this happen or you know I don't you know want to end up like that or um or they just realize they're just like you know what Tara like it's just really important to me I know what I'm like without sleep deprivation I want to change it from the start so yes I'd say the majority are at dire straits um but like I said that that's not necessarily the worst case scenario that's just that they've really had enough and they can mm. start to see that they're getting low mood or they're really anxious because that's you know it's hard because then we kind of just put a label on it and they're like must be postnatal anxiety must be postnatal depression and that's the label and so then they're looking at medication or you know and not to say that there's anything wrong with that but you know if we just can sometimes peel it back and be like you know what are you eating well or are you literally living you know on sugars because you're so sleep 
deprived, you know, which of course we know doesn't help. You know, are you getting that sleep? Because that are you getting out and about each day or is your baby so unsettled because they're so sleep deprived that you're too nervous to leave the house in case they lose their shit in the shops? You know, like that's literally, so it's like, it, it can be such a like, uh, not a preventable thing, but, you know, to some degree, if we're proactive about things, it makes a really big difference, you know? And that's, of course, not to say that PNA and PND don't exist. It's just to say we can kind of get into that cycle, think that, and then that's, oh, well, I'm helpless now because I have that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not the core issue, is it? I mean, the reality is if sleep deprivation has a flow-on effect to every other yeah. area. Physical, yeah, and who wouldn't mental. feel anxious? Who wouldn't yeah. have a low mood? Who, especially if you're then in in you know tiffs with your partner, and you know it's just. And also, I think it's a loss of the dream, right? Like you have this. I this was for me <laughs> with Scarlett. All I wanted to be, I nannied. I was a pediatric nurse, like my entire life. And my mum, she's been a peds nurse for thirty years. She raised like you know, she went and did work in orphanages. Like babies are our thing. And then you have one, and Scarlett was so unsettled and didn't sleep, and I felt so helpless. And you just like it's this feeling of like this is all I ever dreamed of, and, and yet it's nothing that I expected, you know. But once I got sleep sorted, I literally remember Carl being like, "Every month is my new favorite month," you know. I was like, <laughs> "The four month bark." is my best and then you know by the time I'm at 12 months I'm like this is my best month yet like you know with her so yeah so Tara what are some common and I don't know if there are would be common mistakes but what are some common mistakes or or things you think parents get wrong whether it's new parents or introducing a second child what are some of those common themes you see Sure. Yeah. And I would just say there's things that I want people to be really mindful of. So first things first, we've become a really hyper responsive generation of like parents, which is great, but we also need to understand that children are allowed to express. They're allowed to make peeps and murmurs. They're allowed to have a little whinge. If they cry, it's okay. They're allowed to get that out, you know, but we've become like so adverse because everyone says like, oh, if they cry, they're going to get a raising stress hormone cortisol, you know? (laughs) yeah and you would I'm happy for you to pipe in on this too right yes they will they will also get that raise when they have a tantrum they will also get that raise when they're overtired they will also get that when they can't cope with their day because they are overtired and everything seems too much or when they're not feeding effectively because they're too tired to have big you know full feeds like and focus because that alone a feeding for a baby is energy it's focus it's attention you know it's all of those things it's skill it's you know and so if they're too tired that becomes more complicated their tummies don't get time to rest and digest right like so I would say that we're absolutely you know and this is not to say we need to leave babies or go back to old school like not seen or heard it's finding that balance between letting them you know have a little stir in the night without rushing to them it's letting them you know see if they'll resettle for a moment putting them down in their sleep space and getting them, you know, exposed to their own sleep space as well. Because it's very natural and normal to have them, to have them fall asleep on you, that sort of thing. Totally okay. I'm all about it. And I am the most nurturing and, you know, warm um, person. And, you know, everyone says I'm too much for my kids as in I'm like so affectionate. But like, so it's not coming from that space at all. But it's just allowing them to understand their own sleep space, to have exposure to that. If you've had your sleepy cuddle, like putting them back down eventually or the next one, next nap, trying to put them down in there. Because a lot of people with newborns, they have them on them asleep a lot. Beautiful. But then they get tired, you know, by eight to 10 weeks old, it's now kind of like, okay, this is like, you know, (laughs) 
the the meals stop coming from family the visitors slow down your partner goes back to work all of that sort of thing and suddenly this barbie's only used to that and you know or you know it's cool to have the netflix and chill from a very different version um than what it used to be (laughs) but now you've got a baby on you and suddenly at 12 weeks the netflix and stuff isn't working because now the baby's trying to watch it it's trying to turn around it's not sleeping on your chest anymore because the bub's becoming more and more alert right so then you go no no you need to go into your own sleep space because i'm tired now like it's you know or you're not falling asleep in the lounge room like you used to and here and there and so then we try and introduce it and sometimes bub can be you know then it's really unfamiliar for that baby so just that exposure giving them a moment to see if they will go back down again being really mindful that initially it's really important to demand feed and to get that feed supply up but essentially it comes a point where once the feed's established and the supplies established or you've established them on a bottle that you need to start to sort of just guide a little bit more so you don't have to stick to strict like structures at all but when they just make a cry it doesn't mean like food every time because I find a lot of babies these days are colicky, refluxy, you know, um, and they're, you know, having wind issues and that sort of thing. But I also find we're doing a lot of this. We're putting them back on the breast. We're putting them back bottle, you know, so much that they're not getting time to rest and digest in between that. So we've got a real emphasis on the feeding, which is great. But if they had a really good sleep in between and we put that emphasis on rest, they digest better, you know, there's so much that happens in sleep for them, you know, um, developmentally, then they're more likely to wake up and have a meal, a good feed again, and then have a good sleep. So it's trying to sort of segment that and sort of go, right, you've had a good feed, you know, try and keep them a little bit more aware on their feed so they don't just have a snack feed. Now it's time to have a good sleep focus on the sleep part then they're more likely to wake and have a you know so yeah so trying not to get too lost in a snack feed snack sleep scenario um is really important and monitors and everything they just make us so aware of like little movements and peeps and there's so much that our babies do in sleep that seems like they're awake so babies that are extremely awake like light active sleepers them opening their eyes moving grimacing um making you know little noises a lot of the time that's them still asleep but we sort of rush in and then you know and then just being mindful if every time they're due to go to sleep we continuously think we need to play the same role so if we suddenly start rocking constantly every time put the dummy in every time they go to sleep it's not normal for us to think that they're not going to create an association with that Mm. that's what their brains they're they're wired that's the plasticity of being able to recognize repetition and association and patterns that's how they build that sense of familiar. And so then what happens is when they awaken, especially at four months is when their sleep cycles become more defined. So they awaken up to every two hours at nighttime. Instead of knowing that they can, you know, sleep is autonomic, they can just go back off to sleep. They now go, where's that thing that now induces sleep time and time and time again. So that's the biggest cause of sleep issues when I work with clients is the external, they start to externally reference sleep instead of continuing to, you know, understand that they can just drift back off to sleep. So they've got that reliance or dependence on an external association that the, I suppose the parents have created with the best of yeah. intentions. Yeah, of course. And you might have a really unsettled babe and you just have to do what you've got to do, right? So it's never a fault. And I always say that to my clients, like, 
I don't care where you're at when you come to me. I care that you've come to me. Yeah, like it doesn't, and you just do it. You just do what you've got to do. Um, some, it's temperament too, Carl. Like some of my parents would be like, my first two kids were amazing sleepers. I did the same thing for my third and he's waking seven times a night for the dummy, whereas the first two slept beautifully. So temperament comes into play and circumstances like, you know, for, na- for number one, you could be at home. Number two, you're doing school drop-off and pick up. But I think no matter what those things are, just know that, you know, whether or not I'm working with a fourth-time parent who has school drop-off and dancing or whatever, we can get it sorted. Because essentially the babies wake during the nighttime, they come to an awakened point but it should be like us where we don't know about it. We all do it. It's that idea that they have to check that everything is as was because it's safety. So our brains are back in the old days and we have to check that there's no lion or whatever it is, you know, like when we're still in the cave, in the safe cave. So we awaken just to the body or however it works, will the receptors will check that everything is familiar as it was. And then they'll drift back off again. And that's what we do. We just don't know about it as adults, right? Whereas babies, if they're if it's not as it was, if they've fallen asleep in your arms and woken up, you know, somewhere else, it's, the, it's an instant alert for them. So they'll awaken. Then you pick them up. You have to recreate the same setting. That's, I think, a really good point about almost, mm. it is that sort of fight and flight checking, isn't it, during yeah. your sleep about yeah. your environment. And so yeah. those, those little murmurs, those little quirks or little maybe yeah. mumbles, during yeah. sleep that's really normal that's what babies that's actually all doing. normal but a baby ha- yeah so they're going to transition so and and not just that they'll do that in their actual sleep so they'll do that in dreaming and in light surface and all of that so that's very normal because there's a lot of brain activity going on um so that's all very normal but when they have to wake to a really large degree cry then we they won't go back to sleep until we have to do something time and time and time again through all of these two hours you know or whatever it is sleep cycles that's when you know that changes can be made because that's them just becoming used to x y and z having to come into play mm-hmm. and it, it sounds as though tara too when you speak about the common uh, issues or challenges or maybe even um mistakes in terms of habits parents get into be right in saying that we've we've gone from one end of the spectrum the old school mentality of the the baby needs to regulate itself which from my knowledge they are unable to do yeah yeah um but we've gone way too far the other way about being hyper vigilant hypersensitive would that be fair yeah honestly and I know it's a bit controversial but babies obviously and kids really need us to demonstrate how to regulate you know toddlers need us to be the calm ones and to come in and you know to be um authoritative and stuff but we've really gone to the opposite where we're baby led everything so the adults are looking to the baby to be like I don't know what I'm doing like you know and I don't want to upset you so I'll just do whatever you want at this moment instead of being like right this isn't working for us it's not working for them they're really tired we've got to put a bit of boundary and we've got to put a bit of guidelines in you know so I think there's that balance and I think we're missing that a little bit these days everyone's so scared to like you know and and then we've gone to saying like they'll think they're in a Russian orphanage like there's literally articles peddling around saying if you you know work on sleep with your baby and they cry during that 
time. They'll think they're in a Russian orphanage and stop crying. Like what? that does not happen. Like my babies in the who we work with, like they'll cry. They'll cry if they're sick. They'll cry if they need their parents in the night. So there's a, I think you know that fear mongering idea of like, and then they're not attached parents and they're not attached babies. Like mm. how you know you can't break an attachment like that. Like we're not even touching the surface by just you know making sure that they're understanding their sleep space is safe it's like saying if you dropped a child off to kindy and they had a cry on day one you're not an attached parent if you actually walked away and let them get used to that you know like not saying that you have to walk away but do you know what I mean like if you supported them during that change process like we're just not giving them and and it's nothing to do with like you know like the regulation side of things it's just about like putting in some things to be like you actually don't need me to do this this and this right because the baby down the road didn't need that that and that when their parents kept putting them down so if it really was a need why wouldn't the dad be able to settle the baby yeah if it was just about company if it was just about feeling that somebody was there my dads try and settle the baby and the baby screams their head off when the dad goes in instead of the mum because they want what they know, which is mum's breast or the dummy. Parents will say the dummy is a nightmare. They stay on lighter surfaces of sleep because they're aware it either has to be there or they've lost it. Then they awaken. So they go, we want to get rid of the dummy. We'll rock instead. So they're willing to be all in, you know, so mm. like unresponsive. Um, baby loses its shit because it's not what it knows, Carl. It's just about what it's familiar became. Yeah, right? the association. And when you change anyone's familiar, it feels yuck initially. And so if we do it in a way that then we put something new in place, right, but we do it in a way where we can still support, but we can do it really clean as in they can get a hold of a new familiar very quickly with support, it's magic. It's like, you know, whereas if you drop off at kindy, the next day you're picking them up because you're worried. The next day you stay in the class for an hour beforehand, you're showing them I'm not okay, you're not okay you know, during that process. So, and it's nothing to do with neglect. They realize, oh yeah, you're there. You come back. Like, this is okay. You know, it's just change, you know? Well, because as human beings, we're inherently wired to dislike change, aren't we? I hate it. I hate yeah. change. I have to, you know, I think we all have work to do around change, right? Like I'm the, I like create little spots of certainty in my whole day. <laughs> <laughs> go to the same cafe every morning. <laughs> You mentioned structure and routine because I wanted to ask you about that because when I started to research sort of sleep training, sleep therapy, sort of what you guys do, uh, there are like a lot of things. There's a lot of critiques and mm. and I've I've seen this uh, not necessarily for what you guys do, but in, in couples who have had new kids in the last few years. Uh, I remember a few years ago, we were out with a, a couple and having breakfast with their, I think, six-month-old and the alarm went off and the husband goes, oh, shit, we've got to go. We, we, we've got to get it down. Quarter past 12. We've got No, we've got to go. Can you guys pay? We'll transfer. And I'm going, yeah. what is going on? I said to my wife, I don't have, is that what you have to do? <laughs> so I suppose my question is, if you're experiencing sleep difficulties and wanting to engage with a consultant like yourself, is that what you're going to get them to do? Do you need to stick to a structured, regimented routine like that? Yeah. Some, yeah. So there's some books out there that are literally like your baby must sleep till 7am and then they must feed at 8.01 and then they must go down at this time and they have to sleep for this period. 
I, again, we need to find that balance. I think definitely there has to be some sort of priority around like, you know, a nap a day when you can at home or putting them to bed on a reasonable time, right? Like if we have parents that are out every night, the bub's not going to bed till 11, you know, there's obviously that balance, right, Carl? Like there's this sensibility um, around it. But aside from that, you can, you do not have to do those things. So my parents, for example, I might say like nap one and two are really important. So on the days when you are just around, like and at home, put them down at home for those naps, especially when they're starting to first get on top of sleep issues, right? So when we're just getting them to practice that idea of, you know, learning their own sleep space, that sort of thing, then I'd be more inclined to be like, you know, you can do that. But no, like there shouldn't be set sleep schedules. You should have an awareness of what awake time your bub sort of requires before they need to go back down again. Because Carl, to be honest, in some respects, you don't want an overtired baby out anyway. Because mm. <laughs> it's a nightmare. They just cry and it's hard. But there's no, nothing wrong with then popping him in the carrier, giving them a rock to sleep at the breakfast table, you know, when you're out for breakfast, putting him in the pram and, you know, getting to sleep that way or just, you know, so there is absolute flexibility. And like I said before, like some of my parents have three other kids. They're at school, drop-off, school pickup, mm. dancing, and we still make it work hundred percent. So I would just say, I would look at their awake times and I'd look at making sure that they have a decent feed. So not a snack feed or multiple feeds in that awake time, but what, you know, a meal sort of feed idea in each awake time, some play and then back down again. And then there might be days where you can be home for nap one and two other days where you can't, and you just need to get them to sleep however you can in those cases. Um, and then just go, okay, I was out all day. I'll try and be home for a decent bedtime or we're at our friend's house, I'll put them down in the cot there and then try and transfer them smoothly when we get home, you know? And then tomorrow morning, we might be home for first nap if it was a late night and they're a bit tired sort of thing. So there's, there absolutely is give and take and I don't set any strict schedules. That is music to my ears as a yeah. parent to be in the next few weeks. Cause yeah. I think one thing I see in a lot of the blokes that we, we see in our clinic is that the ones who are really struggling with postnatal issues, again, not saying it's the only contributing factor, but no, yeah. are those families that seem to, with all good intentions, of course, seem to adapt their life to the baby as opposed to adapting the baby's routine to their life. Yeah, it, there's a balance. There's absolutely a middle road there. You know, of course, your life is going to change in certain factors, like certain ways. And, you know, there is going to be a commitment. And we've just got to remember it's sort of, you know, only they're only young, this young, really once, you know, and, and you've got a year of sort of where naps are a bit more, you know, they have more naps in the first year. Um, so there is that commitment of like life is going to change a little bit, but that will be natural in terms of the rigidity and, and that, you know, that pressure around that. That's where we need to really back that off and then just go let's find the balance okay we've been out here let's stay home tomorrow morning or whatever you know yeah. we're, we're going to get on top of sleep let's try and commit in for a week or two so we can get bub used to that because it's you know if you, especially if you're trying to make changes you don't want to try one day then have three days out and about then try it you know so during those times probably a bit more commitment um but yeah there's the balance for sure Okay. As we're getting into specifics, I think I told you before we hit record, we got a lot of questions from some of my friends, a lot of our followers last night on Instagram when we did a quick live. So yeah. maybe I'll hit you up with a rapid fire of just some questions we've received. Yeah. So the first one we've got is about dummies. When is it best to wean baby off a dummy if they only use it for sleep? If you don't want them to have the dummy post one years of age. Yeah. So the, 
for sure. So as, when you can, then before that. So as soon as you can, really, it's best. There's no need for it, so to speak. So if you've got a newborn who's really refluxy or just very unsettled, wants to be on the breast constantly, but you want your partner to be able to give you a bit of a rest, like things like that, or you're stuck out and about and you can't feed, the dummies are great. So they're sort of a go-to for newborns. But after three months of age, like then, you know, so anytime after that. So if your little one's four months, that's the perfect spot. Six months, that's the perfect spot. So the thing around the dummies is there's no perfect age to sort of get rid of them. I would say make sure they're gone by 18 to 20 months. And the reason I specify on that is because come two years of age and over the nap, one nap a day becomes quite fragile. And so if you then try and remove at two or just over two, the one thing that they've always used to get to sleep, your day nap can take a really big hit and you can get refusal. So I'm kind of like well before two, or if you do have it at two and over, you're actually better off in keeping it to closer that, you know, like for a while until that day nap's ready to drop, you know, not much over three, but do you know what I mean? It's that, yeah. that gray area around two and two and a half that can be quite complicated because then you might lose that nap or you might might have to start sitting by the cod you know that sort of thing instead so um the other thing with dump with dummies is when you do do it make sure you've got a really solid plan so when we work with clients or they do the online program it essentially teaches them that step to step because you don't want to make it worse by getting everything messy when you get rid of it so if you stop using the dummy in one minute you're rocking them next minute you're in there sitting in the cot next minute you're feeding them to sleep like it's they can't get a hold of a new process you know with that so it's much harder it's a harder process more crying so have a really solid predictable plan that you feel confident with and that you know that you can implement do it from the beginning of the night time and do it cold turkey a lot of people will say but I don't mind it here or should I wean it they don't understand your rules so they'll oh, no. cry a lot more and have more days of crying when you get rid of the dummy if they sometimes can have it and other times they can't because well, it's that then, association again isn't it if you're giving it to huge. them sometimes that's variable reinforcement which is yeah, yeah you don't want that either no exactly and i and i think the other thing is just remembering that um you want to be mindful that you're not swapping one habit in and one habit out so some people say i ended up rocking them to sleep because they wouldn't sleep without their dummy and now i'm rocking you know all the time so just being <laughs> mindful that you know there is there is really effective ways of doing it okay Next one, do you really need to have a pitch black room for their naps in their room? Uh, what if you can't get a room completely pitch black? Totally okay. So people become, I always say like my families, particularly my mums, of course, become really anal about certain things. It's either feeding, room temperature, darkness of the room <laughs> or noise in the house, right? These are the big things that people like get really, they just, it's almost like, you know, when you're anxious and you just hold on to something and you're like, you know, and I think, Carl, I just would take a moment, like in a minute to expand on those things. But essentially, um, you don't have to. So it, I would say, especially if your little one is known prone for early morning waking or catnapping, so short naps, try and see if, you know, getting a bit of block out does help, right? And you can just do it temporarily. You can use some alfoil, you can, you know, whatever, um, if you want to, just to see if it helps that. But I would just say, if you've got normal blinds or a curtain or whatever, that should be completely okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. because Whereas people become so pedantic like they literally you know will line things and they'll line any sort of crap <laughs> that's coming through and that for me like if a baby's still not sleeping well that's got nothing to do with that piece of light coming through at all because i've often heard that and i've often wondered 
but if we think thousands of years ago, we were very successful at raising babies. And I mean, I even read recently about, you know, indigenous uh, in Australia who still largely live outside and the baby's just strapped to mom while she's uh, outside yeah. in the garden or whatnot. So yeah. I think true though, there's, there's a difference between a baby sleeping on you constantly. And there's certain, true. there's certain places and cultures where you can, you can, um, you know, have that and, and it works well, but for the, for, you know, it's really um, not, it's a nice thought, um, but for many, it's, it's literally not, you know, possible. And also it's pretty, unless you've got a support community, like, you know, structure around you, it's pretty taxing to only have a baby who sleeps on you constantly, you know? So, do, you, yeah. do you think we cling to uh, temperature, blackout blinds, all those things, because as you sort of touched on, they're the things we can control in this uncontrollable environment of a newborn? Yeah, yeah huge. So the biggest thing that I see with families, and this is a total, like other, of course, we will go back to the questions, um, but particularly with women is that, uh, we search during times of stress or anxiety or whatever, like just safety um, through control. And this is like the number one, you know, um, time where you're going through just so much uncertainty. There's so much uncertainty with a baby. You can't control it like you have been able to control. I always have a joke that teachers are my number one clientele. And that's because they know <laughs> when they're going to eat shit and holiday their whole life, you know, they literally, that. you know, and their whole, they do plan structures and they, you know, that real type, you know, they know those things. And suddenly this baby comes in and it's like, oh my God, what happened? So um, but obviously it's not just them, but that's just a joke that I have with my teacher clients. But, you know, the thing is, is that we lose everything we've known in terms of our previous structure, the things that made us feel a sense of certainty and security. It's all those foundations, Carl, that you would know so deeply about, our sense of connection, belonging, all of that gets wiped out. We're no longer working at work in that team of people. We're no longer able to just go and play basketball, do our gym class, you know, go see our girlfriend, all of our touch points change they all go you know to some degree of course we can keep some but there's this upheaval of that and so that removes the uncertainty it removes that connection it removes that you know that all of those things and then we get this huge sense of unsafety you know during this time but babies are safe and babies are safe because we think they're ours and they're never going to leave us and you know that's finally the love that we've always searched for and it fulfills us in a way that we never it brings us the greatest sense of safety because it's ours so to speak with the with the quotation marks there that people can't see me doing but the, then you can't control that thing that you know brings you that sense of safety right and your partner and you are at this you know you and and women obviously sit more in that masculine role then because we're taking the lead you know mm. in that part right and so the men slide down and they're no longer a priority for us anymore and I talk a lot with this coach called Jana but um we talk a lot about how, you know, the priorities sort of shift and the baby becomes our entire world because it brings us a sense of safety, you know, it, it, you know, all of this stuff. Then we try and control that. So, and if we can't, we feel more anxious. So we get specific things. If they just would take this much, if they sleep for this long, if they, if I could make the room darker, I need to check this. And it's all anxiety driven. It's all that idea of being able to control something and bring, bringing us a new sense of certainty. And I think with, with partners and with relationships that struggle post-birth, it is because 
we step into our masculine so much after having a baby. I think, I mean, obviously, you know, it highlights any issues that were there before, any sense of resentment, <laughs> any issues that were there before. It doesn't fix marriages. Like, sure, it's nice, but it becomes <laughs> bloody tiring and testing. And so all of these things just get highlighted, right? We step into that masculine role, you know, that sort of thing. The husband becomes like not a priority. They, they lose their voice. Then we wonder why they've stepped out you know, because they do feel helpless and they do, you know, so I think there's an element um, from a woman's perspective of, you know, just remembering that the husband needs to come back up. They need to be brought back up. Yes, there's an element of survival and that for the baby, but the greatest relationships work when the husband is then back as a priority, you know, and they essentially, you know, are the cradle that is, you know, together for the baby and then become the roof of the head of the child, if you imagine your hands interlocking. And so I think bringing them back up to that space, but that also takes a husband to be able to put their egos aside during that time and sort of go like, how can I step back into this and lead again and not take this personally? Like, how can I support, you know, from that masculine role again? Um, but also like, how can I come to it with a sense of vulnerability and not like, you don't pay them any attention anymore. Well, I may as well go off with my friends because I get nothing here anyway, you know, that sort of stuff. But that sense of vulnerability, that's like, I miss us. I really am grieving the loss of my wife because mm -hmm. that's ultimately what can happen, you know? And it's, it's almost natural, you know? But there has to be that softness to come in and be like really vulnerable in that approach instead of like everything's changed I don't even know who you are anymore because there's a really good chance that that woman who's now running things dictating you know needing to control everything undermining all of that she's so fucking scared yeah and she lost all of her touch points and she feels really insecure at the moment and so she needs the man to come back in like a cradle and just be like I got you Let's do mm. this, you know, but from a really vulnerable and not ego-driven point of view. Yeah. Well, it is a dance, isn't it? And I can relate to that. There's so many guys I see, they need to be willing to step up, but also the the female needs to be willing to allow him. And yeah, to huge. And let go of that control. Yeah. And that's so big because they've never felt more in love and more uncertain and unsafe at the same time, you mm. know, and uh, yeah. And yeah, it's huge, you know, so it is that it's that dance. It's that coming together and being, and just like, I think the more that we can recognize this and, and there's also an element of grit, right? There's an element of like, just like do your best both of you and try and be a little bit compassionate to each side and understanding and kind and forgiving where you can you know um get sleep sorted for god's sake it'll change the whole bloody dynamic when you can <laughs> both put the baby to bed and you both don't have to fight about who's getting up and that he can't do it and you know all of that and she can go out with her friends and catch up and you know but there just has to be this element too so we, we've got that kindness we've got that understanding and those sorts of things but there also has to be that element of like it's just bloody tough in the first bit, you know, and it does change a lot and we'll be okay. And I'm okay. And you're okay. And let's just get through this because when you get them a little bit older, you know, one and two and like, yes, there's different things like tantruming and stuff, but the actual, you know, the actual grit that's required in the first year, I think, as you know, kind of like our society is so like, if it's hard, we need to label it. If it's mm. hard. We need to fix it. If we can't, we need to find something new. Instead well, of parenthood is hard, isn't it? It is. 
It is. And it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of hanging in there sometimes as well to some degree. Right. And, and, you know, seeking the externals, coming and seeing you guys, or, you know, working on your own things that come up because nothing highlights your shit more than a child. Couldn't, I could not have said that better. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, I mean, for Mika, like I used to be that person that was like my baby, when I have a baby, because, you know, we had a relationship breakdown with my parents young, you know, long story short. And I used to, from a young age, like 14 or 15, be like, when I have a baby, it'll totally be okay because they'll never leave me and I'll be able to love them because all I wanted was stability and to love something so deeply, you know, and I knew I had it in me. And, you know, my husband left when my little one was, um, you know, when my little one was young and, um I honestly then had to adjust to the fact that now my baby, my little ones had to go and stay at his house every second weekend and my home was empty again like it was when I was younger. And and that's what I mean. You'll have triggers from being a parent. It might be that you suddenly become a shouty mum. You know, people have different things, you know, and then they're like, I sound like my mum. I'm doing it the same and I don't want to, you know, or you have to drink now because it's the only way, you know, different things, right? For me, it wasn't those things, but it was other things. It was this abandonment thing that came up for me again because I never thought I'd have to adjust to not being in a home with my babies, you know? Mm. And so that's what I mean. It's just then going and sorting through that because they are our greatest teachers and they'll trigger us and we we get what we need to heal, you know? (laughs) I like that. I think I'm going to use that sound grab as the preview that having a kid, uh, yeah, yeah, does reveal anything, any other issues, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And it's our choice then to make sure that we don't pass it all on again, mm. you know? Yeah. I'll move on. Um, yeah. cause there's a lot of questions and I'm mindful of your time. Know, sorry. So- and don't worry, Cal, we can go a bit over. So ask, ask the questions away. No, no, no. I'm respectful of your time. I appreciate it. So, um, <laughs> I think you've probably already answered this one, but I'll ask it anyway. So if you want to make any further comments on it, uh, the question is if bubs wakes after 30 minutes and no amount of resettling helps them fall asleep, but they're content in their cot. sounds like they're entertaining themselves. Do you leave them in there until it's time for them to get up or do you continue to try and resettle? And I think you've probably already answered this. Love it. I wouldn't keep resettling after a short nap. So once your babies have gone to sleep, they think they're done. They don't know how long they've slept for. So they're pretty chuffed with their efforts, right? Cat naps, which is what they're talking about, which is when it's a short nap and it continues to happen. Usually it's because you've had to put them to sleep somehow that then they awaken after that 30 minutes and then they're up. And so during the daytime, it's really hard to get them back off to sleep. So it's about working on putting them to sleep at the right awake time. So not overly tired. Um, And then also them understanding that they have the ability to go off to sleep and get into a deep sleep. And when they come into that lightish surface of sleep, check everything's all good. And then they should be able to drift back off to sleep again. Whereas if you've had to do things to get them to sleep, and that's now different when they come out of the cat nap, that's when they'll stay awake. So listen, like that's what I'd work on when it comes to cat naps. But in terms of the resettles, you can see if they'll resettle, if they won't, but they're crying, get them up. Because there's no point trying for ages. Once they think they've done, they're done. If, however, like she mentioned or he mentioned that they're okay in there, then I would give them, you know, a good 20 or 30 minutes, maybe 30 minutes if they're not crying, that is, to hang out in there, see if they might doze back off to sleep and then get them up and then feed, play, sleep, move on. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next one is, and this is a pretty broad one, how to get a good sleep routine in place with the second baby as you'll be busy with baby number one. And I think this was from a bloke who had a two-year-old and a newborn. 
Yeah, sure. So what I would sort of say is your newborn period, you just offer them opportunities to go in their own sleep space when you can. Try not to get them too overtired. So just offer regular opportunities of sleep um, that can be on you even in the carrier at points, that sort of thing. So the newborn babe, you're just trying to establish a decent feed structure, you know, focus on a good feed, then a good sleep where you can. I would try and keep your other little one's schedule and put that as a priority um, until your babe's three months and then get their sleep sorted. So what I would do in the initial part is just sort of nurture that newborn's needs for good feed and good sleep and, you know, love and all that sort of stuff. But keep your two-year-old schedule as best as you can, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is, is that, so you'd always sort of prioritise that. That might mean that your newborn's asleep in the carrier, for, you know, because they sleep a bit later in the afternoon while you do bath or while you're reading a story, you know, that sort of thing. So you just do that and then, you know, get your three-month-old on track a little bit down the track uh, when they're three months and over. Um, But I would then, with your two-year-old, they're probably only on one nap a day. So I'd focus on that one nap and try and offer that at home where you can and just sort of go, okay, even if we want to go out, you know, in the afternoon, that's fine, but we'll try and keep their nap. Then with the toddler, keeping boundaries is really important because it's very tempting to feel guilty and they and and they'll be pushing back because it feels a bit mm, something feels different I'm just going to test my parents here see what's going on right because they got this baby now and I feel a bit ugh, you know I feel a bit lost with my space I'm going to test and so then parents go oh they're having a really hard time because we've got a new baby so I'll let them stay up a bit longer I might just stay with them in bed I'll let them come sleep in my bed if they have you know like and they stop holding boundaries for that toddler and so then the toddler goes like oh this they now they haven't got me anymore like there's no they push doors they don't want to open yeah, like, so they they get a lot of security and certainty and, and safety from our ability to hold space and hold boundaries, right? And so let them have their big emotions if they're happening, um, but then hold the boundary. In terms of the schedule, don't get too caught up. If you can't do a bath for one night for your toddler, don't worry about it. So you don't have to bath every night, you know, or if you can do a bath at 3 p.m. because the bedtime, you know, the bub starts screaming from five till seven in the evening because they're a bit colicky, do the bath with both of them at 3 p.m. in the afternoon and then, you know, go into bedtime or, you know, have a pre-made dinner done, you know, things like that. That'll last you two nights or, you know, that sort of thing. So it's just about finding ways to somehow, you know, keep that two-year-old schedule pretty tight, um, but also at the same time, just like, you know, shuffling things to make it easier in the day mm-hmm. and no pressure on lots of activities right? Like simplify everything. We're like, oh, our baby needs to do sensory classes. Then they need sign language. Then they need swing lessons. Then they need, you know, acrobatics. Like, you know, just chill it all out. Like don't overcommit because it'll just stress you out. And then you'll be screaming at your toddler to get in the car, you know, and get ready and get their clothes on. And mm. it's just a nightmare. So stability, number one, stability for the older just kid. Minimize, like minimize all of it, you know, mm. really back it all off. Don't make a rod for your own back, so to speak. All right. Last one is, uh, I have not read this. It looks like a long one. So hopefully it makes sense. So assume bedtime is 7 PM. Well, this is specific. Assume bedtime is 7 PM. Nighttime routine generally starts at 5 PM. The food, the feed, the bath, the book, Mm. the top up before bed for a five month old who has an awake window of two hours. What is the best thing to do when the afternoon cat nap ends at 4 15 Mm-hmm. And she won't resettle. 
Mm -hmm. So you don't need to stay with a late bedtime. So some people get set on 7 p.m. has to be bedtime. All you would do in that case is just once they're up from the last nap, you do your solids, then a bath, then a, either a play, a feed, a bit more play, bed, and stay with your awake time rather than staying, you know, trying to get them back to sleep so that they make it to 7 p.m. 7 p.m., the number seven means nothing. So if you can get your babies down for sleep between, say, 5.45 and 7.30 p.m. and base that on their awake time, then that's better. So in that case, I just, from that last nap, you run your bedtime routine um, and then you'd have your baby down at, say, 6.30 or whenever, you know, whatever their normal awake time is. So that's all. And that, that's sort of a good example, uh, I think, isn't it, of not being too regimented about the arbitrary exactly. number it of the clock. so much stress and it's yeah. not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I thought that was going to be a complex one and boom, you've just No, that's solved it. everyday one. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we wrap up, Tara, is there any other hot tips, any other resources, any other suggestions you would yeah, give new sure. parents, parents with two kids, three kids, anything at all in regards to sleep and well-being? Yeah, I think don't just settle in the fact that what is, is, you know, especially if you're having a hard time with it, don't put pressure on it. If you're doing things that other people say, you know, isn't right, or, you know, if that you are using a dummy and it's working well, great, like keep doing, you know, what's working. But if you're up a lot at night, if sleep deprivation is taking its toll, if your baby's struggling, that's when I'm like, don't just accept it. Like, you know, reach out. Um, I'm at the gentle sleep specialist on Instagram um, and have a website, gentlesleep.com.au. There's so many blogs and things on there. So just getting that bit of awareness and then also not searching too much. So, you know, find somebody that sits well with you and you sort of align with or find somebody that makes sense and their things make sense and then stay around that. If it's not working, shift, but don't get a million opinions. <laughs> mm. I yeah. can see how overwhelming that would be given oh, the Google yeah. era. And just lastly, if, if somebody listening does think, you know what, I'm going to get in contact with Tara and her team, what does a consult actually look like? What, what, what happens? Yeah, sure. So there's different options. So we have in-home options and we have phone consultation options, all just as effective. And they're two-week programs where if they're in-home, we there's different options, but we come out for a certain amount of time. Or if it's a phone consultation, we have an initial consult, then I, we email a plan and then touch base each day for two weeks. So we call every day except for Sundays to see how it's going, what other changes we need to make. Um, and then um, we also have an online program, which is more affordable, um, you know, and essentially they can watch um, entire video program, video library on getting sleep sorted, what to do, how, how it all works, methods, all of that. Um, they get three months access and they get one month's access in a private group where I come on live twice a week to answer every question they've left in the group. So, wow, no wonder you're so yeah. used to answering the QA. <laughs> yeah, well, even on Insta, when I put a QA up, like a box up, it's literally, I think there's three to 500. I've like, seen it explodes. It does explode. <laughs> So just, yeah. just quickly throughout those two weeks, if somebody signs up for that two week, mm -hmm. so what you're doing is monitoring how they're going and at the yeah, end of it, designing a, a guide and a program. Yeah, troubleshooting. Okay, can you do this if they're doing that? They'll be like, hey, Tara, this is all sorted, but they're still catnapping. And I'll be like, okay, can we try this time away? You know, da, da, da. And that's the same with the online program. So they might, you know, we have a box where they can leave a question so they don't have to make the lives. They can leave a question um, and it might be, hey, Tara, my baby keeps waking up at 3.30, which is really screwing their bedtime because now it's a huge, you know, like that sort of thing, just an example. And then during the live, I'll answer it, post that live and they can watch the answer back. So yeah, it just gives them that ability to be able to troubleshoot and yeah. 
That's awesome, Tara. I have learnt a lot. I appreciate your time. I, I yeah. feel empowered and informed. I might, I might hear from you. <laughs> I hope not, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> but maybe. No, well, thank you very much and all the best. It's fantastic thank to speak you. to Thanks somebody so passionate. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in to the Bloke Psychology Podcast, guys. If you want to know any more about the work we do, check out blokepsychology.com.au. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook if you're not already. There's a bunch of cool content we regularly post there. Check out some of our other podcast episodes. And lastly, if you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, and we'll chat to you soon. In the meantime, take care.